Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Derek Osgood, who is the CEO of Ignition, a go-to-market platform. Today, we're going to talk about product launches and how to make them super successful using research. So Derek, so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Aaron. Excited to chat through this. We got JH here, too. Yeah, product launches are a topic near and dear to my heart and my role, so I'll be taking some notes as we go here. Awesome. Yes, it's always always fun when we can selfishly learn a little bit from our guests, which we typically do. So let's start with the kind of end in mind. What is a successful product launch? It seems maybe obvious, but uh, we could all improve how we approach product launches. And so curious to get your thoughts since you think about this all the time. Yeah, of course. I mean, successful product launches, like ultimately it boils down to you have introduced the new thing to the world and you've introduced it to the world in a way that is actually driving, you know, adoption and revenue and all the business metrics that you care about, Mm -hmm. but also that your whole internal team is prepared for that launch and that your whole internal team, it's not just that customers know that the thing exists, but everybody else within the company knows that the thing exists and that they know how to talk about that thing. You know how to promote it, you know, to, to future customers who come to you and that you are actually crafting the company's positioning around that launch. So you're, you're not just introducing it and like fire and forget, but you're actually weaving it into the broader narrative that the company is, you know, is creating. And so successful launches, like there's lots of ways to measure it. And, you know, most companies tend to look at just kind of adoption. Ultimately, like, you know, the hope is that things that you're launching are actually driving top or bottom line metrics though, and you're actually tying it back to real business impact. So, you know, at the end of the day, you want, we, we're all launching things to grow revenue. So, you know, hopefully when you are launching them, that's, that's what you're doing. Right. Right. And yeah. to that point, that sort of starts at the beginning, right? Like if you're trying to launch something to drive revenue, there's, you know, some theory in that road mapping of how this will drive revenue that you can either directly or indirectly measure, right? The time yeah. to ask that question is not post-launch. Yeah, it's definitely at the earliest stages, like, and that's why, you know, you should be making sure that those things that you're building are really informed by, you know, deep customer insight and Mm. that they are really going to translate to, you know, business performance and not just be things that you're building for internal vanity metrics. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do those things that you're mentioning in terms of a successful launch, do those hold up across the different types of product launches you might experience? So there's obviously like the big headline fanfare and new products something like that we're going to really go to market hard about it. Then there's some, you know, smaller things that maybe are going to be a softer launch around, you know, a big usability improvement or something like that is, are the ingredients of success kind of the same across those? Or do you think about it differently depending on the type of launch? Yeah. I mean, I think the ingredients of success are, are the same. And like, when we think about different types of launches, you know, we're, we're not always just talking about like net new product launches. A lot of times we're dealing with, as you mentioned, like feature releases or even things like rebrands or pricing updates or, you know, really anything that kind of requires a go to market motion. Um, I think, you know, generally, like you are trying to probably move this. I mean, at the end of the day, all of the things that a company is doing are really designed to try and drive incremental revenue. So, you know, at the end of the day, like the end goal for all of those things is pretty much the same. And a lot of the like bits and pieces that feed into it are actually similar. Like, you know, the, the real elements that lead to a successful product launch, you know, it's great product and product marketing collaboration. It's, you know, making sure that product marketing is brought in really early in the process so that they're able to help inform the roadmap items that are being built with deep research and customer insight. 
that they're able to help apply a growth lens to the things that are getting built so that they, you know, have more virality, that they have more, that you're identifying proper upsell and cross-sell opportunities. The second big element is like you're making sure that you're communicating effectively both internally and externally around that launch. Like ultimately like launches have a lot of moving pieces. And so making sure that you are effectively getting the information from the people who are kind of driving the launch, which tends to be like the product of the product marketing team to all the different stakeholders, both internally you know, and, and to customers uh, so they can actually action it is incredibly important. And that applies, you know, no matter what type of thing you're launching. And then, you know, lastly, you, you are trying to tie all this work that you're doing into really deep customer insights. So you have done your legwork, you've done your research, and you understand, you know, how you should be positioning this thing, how you should be pricing it, how you should be packaging it. And all of those things, like they're pretty consistent, no matter what type of launch you're doing, the, the real differences end up coming about at the more tactical level. So it's, you know, how much upfront work are you doing at the strategic planning level when right, you're right. launching smaller, that's like a feature release. You're probably not going to have enough just bandwidth internally to go do all the same amount of legwork that you would do for a big, like tier one product launch. But mm-hmm. you're still going to do most of the same steps. You're just going to do abridged versions of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. An interesting those... thing he talked about was how when you launch a new feature, a new product, whatever it is, big or small, you're kind of bit by bit changing the narrative of what the mm-hmm. overall product and, and company does. I think that's mm-hmm. an interesting one to think about. You talked about, you know, there's the internal comms and the external comms when you launch anything, making sure mm-hmm. that the market and the internal market, if you will, sort of know what's going on and how to talk about it. How do you think about messaging that on that incremental basis of how that story, that larger story is evolving? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you're launching a reasonably large launch, where, you know, whether it's a product launch or whether it's you know, just a big feature, you need to be thinking about the fact that positioning is shaped much more by the things that you do than the, by the things that you say. And so mm-hmm. a lot of companies are like, well, we put this in the press release. And so, you know, that changed our positioning and that suddenly like made customers think about us in a different way because we told them to think about us in a different way. But the reality is like, when you look at companies, you're drawing a lot more conclusions about like who they are as a company, what they're doing, like what you're really believing about them by looking at what are the things that they actually built? What, how are they pricing and packaging their and so, you know, when, when you're creating these launches, you really need to be thinking about all of those downstream kind of assumptions that are going to get sh- impacted when you actually put this thing out into the market. And you should be reassessing the corporate level positioning at the same time as you're doing the individual product positioning for that launch. And so when you're like, these two things are just inextricably linked. And when you're doing the positioning work for that new product or feature, you need to then compare that against the overall positioning and the overall packaging of the products for the company level, which is, you know, basically just gut checking. Is this going to change things? If so, then how do we need to change all of the other materials that we've created at the corporate level in order to marry to, you know, this new world that we've just introduced based on the thing that we just built? Yeah. You were talking about, you know, you're going to kind of probably do the same steps, but just, you know, how abridged they are is going to depend on the, the scale of the launch. What does that look like? Do you have like kind of a playbook or something there? So, you know, I'm on the product side, Aaron's on the marketing side. Mm-hmm. My team's going to launch a big new add-on to one of our subscription offerings. We're really excited about it. We think it's, you know, going to resonate. 
going to work with Aaron's team to you know have a successful launch? Like, what are the steps? What are the things that we should do to to make that work? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the the whole checklist is you know a hundred plus lines long. <laughs> it's, it's launch checklists are a mess, but you know, end of the day, it it really boils down to like first you're going to go set some kind of objectives, and so you know, obviously, like the end goal is drive revenue, but there's a lot of like sub key results that you know feed into that. So you're going to set like, what are the objectives that you want to, you know, measure this against and how are you going to, what are you going to try and drive? Then you're going to go and you're going to do some research to inform like, what is the best way to drive those metrics? So you're going to, you know, I, go research your competitive environment, understand what your competitors are doing, understand how they're talking about the, themselves, understand, you know, how your product stacks up against their product and like where you really are truly different and able to position around. Then you're going to do a bunch of customer research and you're going to go understand, hey, based on, you know, the thing that we're building and based on like your specific needs, how is this going to marry to those? And then you're going to like do multiple stages of customer research throughout mm -hmm. this process if it's a larger launch. So you're not just mm -hmm. doing, hey, did we build the right thing? How's this going to stack up from a PMF perspective? But you're also going to eventually be doing message testing as you're starting to shape your positioning and messaging. So you're going to be gut checking you know, is this thing really, or is the way that we're telling the story about this thing really resonating with people? You're also going to be doing pricing research to understand, are you packaging the product appropriately and, com and combining features in a way that makes it an appealing and product for people? You're going to be doing actual price sensitivity research to understand, are you pricing it at the right price point for those people in order to maximize revenue? And then you're going to actually go and like plan out all your strategy. So you're going to figure out what channels are we using? You're going to figure out how do we want to position it? How do we want to message it? What assets do we need to create in order to support all of that positioning and messaging? And then what's the actual rollout and phasing plan for how we're going to actually introduce this to people? Are we you know, going through a, a soft launch and shipping to a beta first to a smaller subset mm -hmm. of people so that we can collect input from them, start to develop customer stories, and then feed that into you know, a larger GA release? Or are we just shipping it, getting it live, and then going to do an announcement after the fact? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that, you know, that, that'll change based on, you know, the type of launch, but ultimately, you know, like you should have a tiering system in place. So you should be able to identify based on how important the thing is to the, to the company. And then how important is the thing to the, to the customer, um, whether or not there should be like a big tier one launch where you're putting mm -hmm. all of your company's effort behind it. And you're doing, you know, every step of research that you possibly can to make sure that this is as successful as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And you are, you know, going through a much, you're using many more channels to announce it and you're communicating with just a lot more like splashiness, or is it a tier two launch where you're kind of in the middle or is it a tier three launch where, you know, you're basically, it's a smaller release and you just, the goal is to get it out fast and minimize mm -hmm. your your time invested while still, you know, getting effective adoption, in which case you're probably just going to ship it, maybe do some communication in product or, you know, through mm -hmm. email or, or a couple of like own channels to customers. But, you know, it's basically just changing the t-shirt sizing of the, yep, yep. of the launch. <clears throat> Previously, you had mentioned also the, the internal communication piece, like making sure everyone internally knows how to talk about it and is prepared, probably, mm -hmm. you know, some support elements there and stuff. Where does that fit into the process? Is that something that's happening in parallel? Do you want to do that towards the end once some of this stuff is like baked so that it's like a little bit, you know, crisp up or is it a good input to what you need to understand? How do you think about that? Yeah. So ideal world, you are having some degree of communication with teams across the company throughout the process. So, you know, mm -hmm. in an ideal world, what you have is you have like one or two champions from a couple of these other stakeholder teams. So like from the sales team, from the support team, and they're providing feedback 
into the planning process. So ideally like sales and support and everybody else kind of has a voice in the positioning work that you're doing because they're the ones who ultimately are talking to customers every single day and are going to have insight to help inform it. So ideally, like you have somebody involved in the process and they are getting at least some baseline updates on what's going on so that they can start to kind of like prime the pump and prepare their team. Then you need to communicate much more tightly once the, a lot of the stuff is baked, as you said. So I think like you really don't want to go blast all the launch information to everybody when it's still work in progress, because what you're going to end up with is a lot of people using incorrect assets, incorrect messaging, incorrect uh, positioning. And so you really need to, you do need to wait a bit until it's a little bit more put together and, and, you know, ready for prime time. But, you know, I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of companies make is they assume that, you know, all those teams are going to come find the information. And so they have, you know, they'll put it together, they'll drop it in some source of truth, where, you know, whether it's like a bunch of docs or it's a single doc or, you know, they've created or they have some tool for it. And then they'll just like say, hey, this stuff's here, come find it if you want it. And the reality is like most of those teams will never go find it. And if they do, oftentimes it's one big giant launch plan. So it's, you know, just way more information than all those teams need. Because if you're a salesperson, you really only care about like, how do we talk about this thing? What assets do I have to, you know, go and sell it? So ultimately like the, the biggest thing that, you know, I think I, we see really great teams do is that they are pushing information outwards to teams and they've really systematized a way to at every kind of step throughout the launch process, be able to push updates to cross-functional teammates, notifying them about like what's going, like where the launch stands pro progress wise, but then also to help share just the important information with those folks, like what messaging, you know, are we using? What assets are available and finalized and approved? And so, you know, ideally you're actually like, it's, it's kind of a pulsing motion where you're pushing things out on a semi-regular cadence to the folks who need it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because one thing I think marketing teams can forget to do is to market internally. It's as important as marketing externally. And mm -hmm. most folks are not waking up every day like looking for what other interesting things has everyone else done I can go out and actively find, right? So right. that pushing it out in context over and over is really important. Yeah, and, um, and the internal marketing is super important because honestly, your internal team is your best marketing channel. Right, like your exactly. Sales, your sales exactly. people, your support people, they're going to tell the story better than anybody else can. And they're the ones who are talking to customers every single day. And you have an entire audience of, in many cases, like hundreds or thousands of people within the company who all have their own LinkedIn networks. They all have their own social networks. And them being excited about the thing that you built and being ready to go promote it just results in tons and tons of free promotion. So, right. you know, teams totally forget to leverage their internal teams nearly as much as they should be. And in both directions, right? To your point earlier, you're getting a lot of feedback in terms of how are we going to talk about this launch? How are we going to position it from your go-to-market teams, from your customer service teams, et cetera. So you're using that to inform your roadmap, your positioning, and then informing right? Those teams in a more packaged up way. Okay. This is what we heard and synthesized. This is how we're going to roll this out. And then the loop continues over and over again. Right. Totally. Totally. And, and they can also help with like getting research lined up too. It's, right. you know, I think one of the, one of the challenges that exists in this process is like oftentimes in today's shipping cadence for new products in, in most companies, it's so, it happens so fast and the product team is operating on a motion where they want to get the thing out as fast as possible so they can start collecting feedback on it and iterating on, on the product that they built. 
that, you know, oftentimes it's tough to actually squeeze in the time to do the real research that informs the, the go-to-market planning. Like oftentimes the product research will still happen up front because the mm -hmm. product team is on their own timeline. So they'll do that work, you know, pre-build, but then the go-to-market team doesn't actually get the, they don't even know the thing's getting built until, you know, further down the, down the pipe, at which point, you know, there's not enough time to actually go and do the research that they want. So, you know, if you're leaning on those internal teams as feedback mechanisms within this process, they can help say, hey, I know this customer that I was talking to the other day that really cares about this problem. You should talk to them. And they'll, they'll just organically bring up that opportunity for a user interview and pull them into the process, mm -hmm. which can you know, yield pretty critical insight for that launch plan. You mentioned people not doing enough of that internal marketing and stuff. That can be something that teams get wrong. What are other things teams can mess up when it comes to you know, not having a successful launch? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest one is it's not doing research. Like there's so many teams that they, they skip that step because they are trying to move quickly and, you know, they think that they know how the thing should be talked about because they're like, oh, well, we've been selling something that's kind of adjacent to this for a while. And so, you know, like it, it must work this way and then they'll go ship the thing and, you know, they haven't done any message testing. They haven't actually got checked whether their assets are telling the story that they think that those assets are telling to people. They haven't understood how their pricing stacks up against competitors. They haven't like even paid attention to competitors in many cases. A lot of people don't even go look at, you know, what other products are out there in the market that do something similar. So there may be some status quo that 90% of customers are using and, you know, the company doesn't even realize that it exists. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when, when you don't do that research, you just end up with messaging that falls flat. You end up with communication that, you know, feels tone deaf in many cases to customers. Um, and you end up with uh, just, you know, poor adoption. So, I, you know, I think the biggest one is like not, or just forgetting to do that stuff um, or thinking that, you know, it's more important for them to move quickly than it is for them to, you know, do the legwork to, to get that stuff right. I think the, the other big one is they try and, you know, it's not having that kind of tiering system and not being able to actually t-shirt size the launch, launch planning that they're doing. So they end up over-investing time in the stuff that doesn't matter and they end up under-investing time in the stuff that does. And so you end up, you know, there's a lot of pressure internally in any company from the product teams that have built the stuff, from, you know, the exec team to just make sure, make a ton of noise about every single thing that gets built within the company. but. That's actually not just a problem from a bandwidth perspective internally, because the, the product marketing team, they just can't execute everything with the same level, same level of effort. But um, it's also a problem from a customer perspective, because customers then are hearing you just constantly shouting. From, it's, it's a bit of a boy who cried wolf situation where like, you know, mm -hmm. customers are constantly shouting about every single thing that got built. But the reality is like they only care about probably one or two of those things at you know, a really high level. And so when they are drowned with all this information about new things that are coming out from the company, it is beneficial in that it shows that you're shipping a lot of stuff and like you're constantly improving the product, but the things that really, really are going to move the needle for that customer and are going to cause them to want to upsell or going to cause them to want to, you know, cross sell into another product, mm -hmm. those things are going to slip through the cracks and they're not going to, they're not going to pay attention to them because they'll get blindness to the mm -hmm. announcements that you're making. So it is important to be able to like create this tension between 
making sure that the small things are getting announced and the customers can access that information, but then making sure that the big things are really cutting through the noise of all of the other things that you, you've built and you're shining a spotlight on them and saying, hey, these are the things that, the, the, these are like two or three things this year that we built that are really, really important to you and we know are going to completely transform your experience with our product. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like segmentation is really important there too. It's one thing I wanted to ask you about because you know, we're very much in the business of participant recruitment here. So, you know, the idea being who you talk to really matters. So when you're doing all these different forms of research throughout the life cycle of a product launch, you might want to talk to different people depending on what the product mm -hmm. is, right? And obviously that changes as your product matures and you're serving different audiences. But maybe you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, how do you think about, we talked about, you know, tier one, two, three in terms of just like the size, right, mm -hmm. of a launch. But what about how you segment your launches and, and your research accordingly? Yeah, 100%. I mean, segmentation is hugely important in this process. And, you know, I think a lot of companies have a fairly simplistic way in the way that they think about segmentation when they're announcing stuff to customers. And oftentimes they'll, they'll tie that segmentation to like roles if they have permissions in their products. So if you think mm -hmm. about SaaS products, mm -hmm. oftentimes you have like an admin and then, mm -hmm. you know, in our, like in our case, for example, we have admins and we have editors and we have viewers in our product. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way that companies will think about segmenting their launch efforts. They're like, okay, well, this launch is only applicable to editors because editors are the ones who can access the feature that we built. But they don't go a level deeper and say, hey, within our set of editors, there is some specific segment of roles and industries that are gonna care about this product a lot more than others. And the rest of them, it's like not really important. And so they're never actually tailored, like they're just announcing everything broadly. And part of this is a bandwidth limitation. Like a lot of teams don't have the tooling in place. They don't have, you know, the, the number of people needed in order to really get granular in you know, announcing certain things to certain people instead of cert announcing, you know, everything to everybody. So it, it's kind of tough for, for them to execute. But if you're able to do it right, what you should be doing is you should have those different tiers, but then each of those tiers should be, you know, also have a sub-segmentation of we're only launching this thing to, you know, the people who really, really care about it. Ultimately, like the, the way that you get better adoption on products is by being more laser targeted and by being better at saying, hey, we're going to create this one very small group of passionate users of this thing that are then going to be kind of mavens to the rest of the or the rest of the audience that we are targeting as a secondary audience. And that's how the best products have grown. That's how like when we were launching PlayStation 4 when I was at PlayStation, we targeted the smallest possible segment of gamers and we knew that that segment of gamers influenced everybody else in their purchase decisions. And so we basically targeted them and that led to the most successful console launch in, in history at that point. And it was mostly because we had chosen to really get tight on segmentation. Like we, it was the first time in the company's history that we had gone through a full segmentation exercise and done, you know, months of user interviews, months of months of research work to feed into this thing. Um, and it was a huge, it was hugely successful. Um, so yeah, I mean, like segmentation, like you, you do need to do it. And I think, you know, there's, you can do it at the top of the funnel and, you know, actually change the positioning and messaging of that launch, or you can go all the way down and, you know, do it at the very end at the last step and tweak the communication that's going out. And like, if, for example, you don't have the bandwidth to really actually like create whole separate launch plans for different audiences, mm -hmm. 
what you can do is just, you know, have different versions of the announcement emails and communications that are going out that are targeted to those segments that you've, you've identified. Um, and, you know, then you're just maybe mix and matching components of that announcement email um, for mm -hmm. those audiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Gotcha. I think so it's important like it's... too that, that those um, those segments can be different from launch to launch, right? You probably have some notion of different personas or company types or like you said, admin different, but uh, important to kind of for each launch, think about what is the meaningful segmentation for this launch? You know, what are going to yeah. be the key differences in terms of who's going to care and why they're going to care? Yeah. And, and oftentimes like it's it, that segmentation can be as simple as like they have a tool or they don't have a tool or, sure. you know, they, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy complex. You know, you know, you don't necessarily have to get down to psychographic segmentation. Although if you can, it's the most powerful thing you can do. But, you know, if it may be as simple as saying, Hey, like these people like do or don't have a tool or, you know, they are considering a tool or, you know, where are they in the buying process? So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it doesn't have, you don't have to get crazy with it, but, you know, having some degree of insight that's a little bit deeper than like the way that you've actually structured your product permissioning is always going to lead to better messaging. When you were calling out the things that are really important, you know, to get right, you mentioned uh, research. And one of the examples of research that's come up a couple of times is like message testing. <clears throat> if I'm a product marketer listening to this and I'm not super familiar with message testing and maybe I don't have a UXR team available to me, how, how do you do that? Like what's, what's good message testing look like? What are some tips for those people to, to be able to go out and do that? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the, the number one tip that I would give is it's not just A-B testing. Like, you know, everybody kind of thinks that when they're doing message testing, the right way to do it is you create two messages and you just go out and send them, like either push them out through ads or, you know, whatever channel you're using and see which one performs better. But the reality is that messaging has a lot of other qualitative impacts that are not necessarily going to show up in that kind of testing. So really what, like what I like to do when I'm doing message testing is combine qualitative and quantitative. So you go out, you create your couple of like options that you've created around messaging. And ideally what you do is you go show that to a segment of users and you say, Hey, here's this message. And the first thing that you do is just leave it open-ended and say, what does this tell you? Like, what does this, you know, what's your take, what are your takeaways from this and have a conversation with them and have them explain back to you what the messaging that you've created is communicating because it's, I, I guarantee you, it is different from what you think it's communicating. And so you come away with a lot of like qualitative learnings that will quickly probably cause you to change some of your messaging into something that's a little bit tighter. Um, and then from there, you can start to get into more quantitative comparisons where, you know, once you feel like you've got a couple of messages that are telling the story that you're getting, you're starting to hear customers regurgitate back to you the message that you want them to be taking away from that, then you can start comparing those at a more quantitative level and start to A-B test them, send them mm -hmm. surveys, mm -hmm. say, hey, here's message A, here's message B, which one, you know, are you most likely to buy, which, you know, what, 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 do, what do these, uh, you know, how do, how do these stack up and resonate on specific like brand parameters if you're trying to compare against, mm -hmm. uh, compare against brand attributes and how it's going to actually shape positioning at the larger level. Um, so, you know, ultimately it's about like having that push and pull between qualitative research and quantitative research. Yeah. I have a bunch of questions about this. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, 
when do you do message testing in the process? Like like uh, early in the game, late in the game, a bunch of times? Well, yeah, so I think it's a bunch of times. Um, uh-huh. and, and typically, like, what I like to do is I like to do the message testing kind of in the middle where, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work that you have to do before you can ever... You right, ever what are we testing? Free. Yeah, You have to go do positioning work. You have to have done the upfront research on understanding, like, what customers care about in general. So you do all that stuff. And then, you know, ideally, once you have any messaging that you are getting close to thinking is, you know, ready for prime time and you're ready to start like actually briefing, um, you know, the creative teams that are going to end up developing the assets. Um, once you're at that stage, you probably want to do some of the qualitative research. And that's when you want to start just getting feedback from customers on, Hey, how, like, what is this telling you? Um, then you can, you can do the other testing, the like quantitative stuff mm-hmm. kind of as assets get finalized, because really you're not AB testing messaging at that point, right? You're mm-hmm. typically AB testing actual assets and actual ad creative or actual, you know, email creative or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever right. channel you're using. So as each of those assets gets, gets, you know, again, close to getting finalized, then you just start running a bunch of AB tests, running a bunch of surveys, um, you know, collecting that feedback kind of continuously throughout that process as you're mm-hmm. developing it. You know, ideally you have a system set up where you can easily just, you know, as things get created, run tests with customers right. and get that feedback, you know, continuously. So it's not, you know, one big like bulk send on uh, with everything that you've created. So, um, you know, ideally you're doing it kind of throughout the process and and even past launch, like, you know, right. this, this testing should not end when you've actually put the thing you know, pr- prior to you putting the thing out in the market, after the thing is live, you need to be doing the same thing and you need to be going out to customers and saying, hey, we just launched this thing. We're talking about it this way. How is this, like, what's this telling you about our company, about our product, what we're doing? How is, you know, does is this messaging compelling to you? Is it actually helping you to, you know, be curious about buying this product? So mm-hmm. um, you need to be doing it continuously. It's not, it's not a, you know, one-off where it's, it's done once you've got your initial feedback. Great. Okay. Next question. What launches do you do this message testing for? Is this a tier one, tier two, tier three? Like do you always message test everything? When do you recommend incorporating that kind of testing? Yeah. For, for any tier one launch, for sure. Um, I think, you know, tier two is where it gets a little fuzzy and you end up kind of some tier two launches. You probably will. If you have enough lead time, some tier two launches, you probably won't if there's not Mm -hmm. much lead time. So, you know, again, that kind of comes down to just how much, bandwidth and time you have between mm-hmm. whenever you're starting and whenever you're going to go launch the thing. Um, tier three, typically I'm not doing it. Like, you know, that's where you start to look more at kind of like just AB, t- AB test results. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and in many cases with tier three stuff, because you're trying to just optimize for speed, there isn't even any AB testing going on. It's like you kind of create the one message and that's, that's all the communication you're doing. Um, but so, you know, I, I think like every time for a tier one launch, Tier two launches, it's, you know, 50-50 and it kind of depends on on lead time. Got it. And then last question on this, how do you do it? So you talked a little bit about how you do it, but in terms of like really like are you using a tool like Winter or do you just sort of like hand spin it up or um, are you actually like mocking up a homepage with a hero and a subhead? Like what are you testing and how do you test it? Let's say it's a tier one launch. 
Yeah, so great question. So, you know, when it when it comes to tooling, I like winter didn't exist back when I was a product marketer, mm, unfortunately. So um, I, I, I wish that it did. You know, I do I do like some of the tools out there today for, for doing this, but um, I was doing it pretty ad hoc. So, you know, mm -hmm. back when I was back when I was going through this process, I had some surveys that I had created in SurveyMonkey that were, you know, baseline, um, you know, just the quantitative side of things. And then when it came to the qualitative side, like I was, you know, unfortunately having to just go chase CSMs and asking them to like put customers on calls with me. And then, you know, I would have conversations with people. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I would do focus groups too. Like, you know, if I had a pretty well-structured beta program, I would have, you know, a set of people who had already kind of like opted in and were pretty readily available for, you know, kind of larger group sessions. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the, the content that I'm sharing, so at the message testing stage, I don't like to share like quote unquote assets. So I don't mm -hmm. like to actually use like full landing pages. I don't like to use, you know, ads or anything like that. I like to keep it, you know, very basic where it's like words on a page. And mm -hmm. so I typically will make a slide with the different messaging angles that I'm, you know, approaching things with. And, you know, sometimes that'll be just, you know, kind of a headline style message. Sometimes it'll be, you know, with sub bullets that are, you know, identifying kind of core value props within mm -hmm. that as well. Um, and I'll ask people to re react to that first. And from, because ultimately like the goal of this early quantitative or qualitative messaging, message testing is to inform the assets that you're going to create. So then once, you know, I've got feedback on is the very, is the like core of the message that I'm trying to get across conveying the right thing, then I'll go start flushing it out with landing pages and landing pages are typically where I like to, you know, share if I'm sharing real assets, um, because you can share, you can have headlines, you can have visuals tied to those. Um, but so I'll either do, you know, a landing page or like if I'm creating Facebook ads, you know, a, a kind of short form ad with you know, just a single visual. Um, mm -hmm. And those tend to be kind of like the two, the two angles that I'll use if I'm comparing actual like real assets. I am. Um, I love when we get into like tactical examples like this with very like specific advice. I'm, I'm curious, did you have other things in your toolkit? Um, you know, there's some other testing that we talked about, like pricing research or, um, you know, more generative stuff. Like what are, what are other things that you think might be useful for product marketers when it comes to, you know, research that informs launches? Totally. I mean, pricing research is a whole, is a whole, deep Big rabbit one. hole that I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people think like pricing is some dark art that, you know, they aren't really familiar with how, how you actually come about to, you know, the way that you should be packaging features up or the way that you should be pricing, you know, applying a price point. Um, so, I mean, there's, there are a few tools that do some, you know, of this research well. Uh, so, you know, I've used like price intelligently before, um, Unfortunately, it's pretty expensive if you're, you know, a, a product marketing team with limited budget. So, you know, price intelligently is great. Um, conjointly, you know, allows you to do conjoint research to basically, um, you know, understand how to package products. Um, I actually like to use a much lighter weight version of conjoint research, though. So, I mean, true conjoint is pretty complicated. You actually need like a dedicated tool for it. But mm -hmm. if you are trying to just get it a basic understanding of which features have we built and how should those be packaged into, you know, different products. What I like to use is, you know, they're called max diff surveys and you can essentially just stack up all the different attributes of your product in different subsets. And so you basically create three or four different sets of three or four 
features or attributes in different combinations. And you ask people, you know, to pick one of each of those sets of attributes in terms of whether it's the best or the worst and, you know, or the most important or the least important to them. Mm -hmm. And then what that's going to give you is a chart at the end of it. And there's a whole bunch of blog posts out there on the internet about like how to chart this stuff, but it's going to give you a nice chart that will give you very clear stratification between those features in terms of which ones customers like really, really care about. Then there's a little bit of art there where you do need to then determine, you know, okay, based on the things that are most important, you probably want to have one or two of those really important things in your lowest tier because you want people to buy the thing in general. <laughs> but then you also want to have, you want to hold out a couple of those really important things for premium tiers. So, you know, when you're actually building out your pricing model, um, you need to then use that input to factor into the way that you're packaging the product so that you can put as much value as possible needed to migrate people from different, you know, price points um, into each of those packages and, you know, get them also to stick at the base level. Um, but then from there, like the, the process is once you figure out your packaging, you need to figure out your actual price point. And so there's, there's kind of two easy, really quick and dirty uh, ways to figure out price point. My favorite ends up being um, Van Westendorp surveys. So you're essentially asking people um, four questions. You're asking them like, here's, here's a, you know, product that you, that we're considering selling, you know, what price point would this be uh, too expensive for you to con consider buying? What, what price point would it start starting, be starting to get expensive, but you'd still, you know, consider buying it at what price point would it be, you know, a bargain? And at what price point would it be too cheap for you to actually trust it and like not want to buy it? And then you basically chart those on, you know, four line charts and you're going to get a, a diamond, which includes kind of the range of accept, acceptable prices. And then you can kind of pick any of the corners to, to price around. Um, so that's like the simplest way to do this stuff. It's not perfect. There, there are problems with, you know, Van Westendorp and, you know, there's some other methodologies like David mm -hmm. Ranger and whatnot that can give you, uh, you know, different pricing insight, but it's enough to at least get you in the ballpark. And then from there, you can kind of continue iterating and, and optimizing pricing um, based off of live, live customer feedback. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot better than just guessing and throwing something mm -hmm. out there. And then you do, you'll get feedback. <laughs> People yeah, will yeah. buy it or they won't. Yeah. Um, so, so the proof's in the pudding. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, how you get to that point of launching a, a product or feature. And hopefully it's been, you know, very successful based on all the research you've done and planning you've done and internal marketing you've done. Um, so now your product's out there in the world. Let's talk about ongoing research, right? Like how do you mix continuous research, benchmarking, you know, whatever methods, internal feedback, you know, you're using to A, continue to develop your roadmap as your product mm -hmm. matures, but also to iterate, right, on your existing features and products. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately, too many teams, they treat launches as very fire and forget. And like, you know, it's right. once the thing it's is the live, end. it's yeah. just the end. <laughs> and yeah. um, that is totally the wrong way to do it, but, you know, it's pretty common. Um, I, it's interesting that you mentioned in, in your question, um, internal feedback. And I think, you know, this goes back to the internal marketing conversation that we were having earlier. One of the most underrated ways to measure the success of your launches is through internal retrospectives. And so, mm -hmm. you know, ideally the second that you like, or not necessarily a second after you launch something, but you know, a week or two after you launch something, you should be sending an internal retrospective survey 
to all the different stakeholders who were involved, you know, trying to gut check how well prepared everybody felt like they were for that launch. Um, you know, how, how much did they feel like they understood the product that was, that was built? You know, how did they have access to all the assets that they needed in order to go and like do their job around it? Um, and then also collecting feedback on, you know, things, basic things like what, well, what, what could, could have gone better? What did we learn? Um, and then you should have like on a more kind of irregular, probably quarterly basis, you should have a deep dive retrospective session with all the key stakeholders across the company around how your launch process is going. What are the big things that you took away from all those different things that you launched over the course of the last quarter? What are the things that you need to do to iterate on your process and make it better over time? So ideally what you're doing is you're collecting rapid, like quality and quantified um, feedback from everybody internally after every single launch so that you can iterate on the fly, but then you're having deeper dives on a kind of slightly slower cadence. Um, and when it comes to, you know, the ongoing customer research, ideally what you're doing is for one thing, you have a good mechanism for collecting feedback continuously from them uh, on both kind of new ideas for products, but also feedback and on the existing products that you've launched. So some companies, what they're doing is they're, you know, hosting external like product idea pages where customers can go and like nominate new feature ideas, vote on those, you know, discuss them. And then, you know, they can actually have live conversations with the product team around, you know, potential concepts that they're, you know, curious about having built into the product. Um, you know, a lot of teams, when they are publishing announcements, they have some location where whether it's a blog or whether it's a, you know, public change log page or something like that, um, you know, they're publishing these announcements to customers. And then there's some, you know, happy, sad, you know, mechanism on that where customers can like say, you know, how excited or, or not excited they are about that new release or how well it's serving them. Um, and then, you know, ideally you have pretty tight communication with your internal sales and support teams that are talking to those customers on a daily basis too. And you have some, you know, like what I've done in the past is I've had weekly reviews with our customer success team where I'm just collating all the learnings that they have from, you know, a given week and, you know, all the things that they've heard on things that we recently launched, things that, you know, we're, we have launches upcoming around. Um, and, you know, ideally you have kind of an agenda where you're running through just a set of questions. Um, that are pretty standardized so that they can come prepared with, you know, a batch of batch of insights from all the customers mm -hmm. that they're talking to on a regular basis. But, um, you know, beyond that, like it's kind of just having regular conversations with customers, you know, ideally if you're a product marketer, you should be on the phone with a customer at least once a week, if not a lot more than that. Um, and you should be having, you know, day in day out conversations with them, understanding, you know, what their pain points are, what, what other tools they've used in the past and why your product is better or worse than, than it. Um, and understanding, you know, like what their big gripes are with the current product and what you need to be building and how you could be better serving them. So this is all throughout this. It seemed like a very collaborative process. Lots of people involved, mm -hmm. lots of stakeholders. Who's, who's owning the launch at the end of the day? Like who's deciding it's tier one versus tier two, or who's going to be spearheading that retrospective and some of these other things you're mentioning. Yeah, good question. I mean, typically it's the product marketing team. Um, however, that you know does vary a little bit depending on the org structure and the way that the product marketing team is actually set up. There are some product marketing teams that you know end up skewing a lot more on the kind of content and sales and intimate side of the house. In which case, you know, they may not be quite as 
you know, tightly integrated into the launch process. So, but you know, in most orgs, the way that I see it is like product marketing team is really owning and driving the launch product is the primary collaborator with them. And so in some companies, product is the one driving it, but ultimately like those two are, you know, product marketing and product are two sides of the same coin. And so whoever's driving it, the other one is like kind of riding shotgun and they are, you know, pretty much tied at the hip working through this process. Um, you obviously have tons and tons of other stakeholders though, like, you know, the average product marketer reports that they work with nine other stakeholders on every launch. So you have sales and success, you have demand gen, you have comms, you have design and you have, you know, all of your executive stakeholders as well. So, you know, you have folks from almost every single department within the organization that are, that need to be involved in this process. You also have legal who needs to sign off on, on everything that gets created in this process. So, you know, ultimately like what you, what you have is you have a little bit of a task force for every single launch that gets created. Mm -hmm. And it's somebody from all over the company, but product marketing should be driving this. And, you know, ideally they are close enough with product that they're able to, you know, understand exactly what's going on with the roadmap at all times and be that conduit for everybody else to understand what's going on with that launch. So the product doesn't need, product can continue focusing on actually getting the thing built and shipped on time. Derek, you've been a wealth of information. I, any closing thoughts to leave folks with as they think about both on the, as you pointed out, right, the product marketing and product launches are absolutely a team sport across an organization. So anyone in an organization who wants to see their products launches be more successful, you know, what should they be thinking about heading into the new year? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, just make sure that you guys, that, that like when you are launching products, you are thinking about it as a team sport. Like, it, you know, it's far too often I see companies where they do, you know, the product marketing team's kind of left on an island and mm -hmm. they're trying to bring all these other stakeholders in, but everybody has conflicting priorities and everybody's busy and it's just hard for them to get the support cross-functionally that they need in order to effectively launch these things. Whether it's for, whether it's collecting feedback from, you know, the market or whether it's helping to actually execute the the planning process and you know one person can't drive the whole thing and you really do need everybody involved and they're going to need and that product marketer is going to need to you know kind of delegate some of this stuff to folks across the team as well it's like you know the product marketer is probably uh, under the gun to create a bunch of assets and so they may not be able to handle sales training so you, they may need to lean on the sales managers to go and train you know the sales team based on, you know, some kind of upfront briefing the product marketer gives them. So, you know, it, treat everything as a partnership. It's a collaborative effort. Everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction on this stuff. And you really need to, you know, think about it as, as something that touches every single part of the organization and everybody is responsible for at least some degree of ownership around it. So um, that's probably my biggest, biggest thought to leave. Great. It's a great one. Nice. Yeah, it gets about right. to close. Thank cool. you, Derek. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. This is awesome.